everybody. Depending on when you're watching this, it may or may not be Mother's Day. We're recording this for Mother's Day weekend, so I just want to say happy Mother's Day. If you're a mom, um, we have a tradition at Timberline where we have you stand right where you are. Everyone cheers. It's very exciting. I'm not sure where you're watching. Um, you're welcome to stand where you are, but know that we are cheering for you. Um, know that we are so grateful for you and all that you do that we honor you. For all of you who have mothered your own and mothered others, we just want to say thank you. This last year has been one for the books, and we have never needed moms more. So happy Mother's Day. For those of you who feel the tinge of pain that comes with Mother's Day, because of mothers you didn't have, um, mothers you couldn't be, mothers you lost, mothers with strained relationships, for those of us who feel the mixture of the both and of that, like honoring the good of the mothers and mothering in your story and feeling any tender parts of your story that this day brings to the surface, we just want to acknowledge that. And we want you to know that we care about that part of your story and that we're praying for you today. I want to encourage you to look at your story, to take a look at the people in your life who've been beautiful examples of motherhood. The aunts, aunties, teachers, coaches, neighbors, bosses, friends. Those who have mothered you and nurtured you in addition to your own moms. I like to say the bonus moms in your life. Who are the people that come to mind? I would like to take a moment to invite you to honor them and to send them a text to tell them. Tell them how thankful you are for the way they've mothered the way they've nurtured you. I am fine with you doing that, this whole message if you'd like to. Full permission to be on your phone. I promise I won't be offended. There's so much power in the encouragement of this, in celebrating and honoring the people who have made you, in big ways and small ways, to be the person who you are right now. In 1997, Fred Rogers of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, oh, won't you be my neighbor? He won a Lifetime Achievement Award Emmy, and in his acceptance speech, he said this, all of us have special ones who have loved us into being. Would you just take along with me 10 seconds to think of the people who have helped you become who you are, those who have cared about you and wanted what was best for you in life? 10 seconds of time, I'll watch the time. And then he gave 10 seconds of silence, pulled up his watch, <laughs> 10 seconds of silence, and continued. Whomever you've been thinking about, how pleased they must be to know the difference you feel they've made. You know, they're the kind of people television does well to offer our world. Is there anyone better than Mr. Rogers? I think Mother's Day is a day that invites this kind of honoring and gratitude to those who've made us. For me, this is a unique day. It's my first Mother's Day as a mother. My son Powell was born last June. He's so close to being one. I can't even believe it. He's a cherub, you guys. He's the best. Getting to be his mama is something I will never, ever get over. Like, I can't even. <laughs> this is also the first time I've attended church on Mother's Day in four years. To be honest, in my recent past, I have kind of hated this day. I have a great relationship with my mother, with my mother-in-law. Um, the nurturing women in my life abound. 
Like I hit the jackpot. <laughs> Seriously, I am blessed. But for my own mental health, attending here on this day was something too tender to do. Something I didn't want to or couldn't engage in. It was a journey to get to where we are. Becoming a mother was slow. It was painful. Um, it was a journey marked by loss and grief. For those of you who get me with that, you're with me in that, maybe you're still in that place, I'm sorry. I wish there were better words to acknowledge the longing, um, the pain, the complexity of that place. And yet here I am on the other side of a miracle that I wasn't sure would ever come. A mother celebrating my first Mother's Day. And also still pretty in tune with that tender place aware of all the other people still in a season of waiting with no assurance that what they're waiting for will ever come. In the middle of some of those years of trying and waiting and loss, um, people would say to me, you know, God is faithful. It'll happen. And what they meant was that God would give me a baby. Maybe they didn't mean to, but they tied his faithfulness to it. But the thing was that God never promised me a baby. He promised to be with me. And to that, he was so faithful. I stand here now, right, with the miracle on this side of heaven. Again, I can't believe it. But you need to know that it wasn't God's faithfulness. I didn't deserve my son Powell. I didn't suffer for a while and therefore earn him somehow as a reward. If the baby never came, God would still be faithful. I count his life as a living reminder of the wild generosity of God. I am so grateful for the gift of his life, the gift of getting to be his mother. But God was good before. God is good now. He will be good despite the suffering that will most certainly come my way. Because suffering, unfortunately, will touch all of us. Jesus himself said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Miracles happen. God is active. He is moving in our midst. He is bringing his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven now. His power and presence are accessible to us through Jesus now. Miracles happen. But as Pastor Jeff said in one of his messages recently, we can't have a theology of miracles without also having a theology of suffering. They both need to exist together. So wherever you find yourself, in the waiting, in the suffering, in the broken dreams, or right in the middle of the miraculous generosity of God, may you take comfort in his faithful promise to be with you no matter what. Amen? Thanks for hanging with me. It's a very long uh, Mother's Day intro. It's where I'm coming from. And again, celebrate the people who mothered you into being this Mother's Day. Text them throughout this message and later this weekend, okay? Today, I wanna dive in with you all where I have felt God doing the most work in my life in the last three years. And it's learning to be present, which is all about attention. I've called this message radical attention. It's the gift of being present. So here's the deal. I talk fast. I drive a little fast. If there are multiple cars in front of me when I'm driving, I will judge them based on which I think will be faster. And then I will align myself correctly. In high school, I worked as a cashier at Home Depot. I was pretty good. 
So when I'm at the grocery store in the self-checkout, I pride myself in my ability to efficiently move through that puppy. A pro tip for you, um, if you put your credit card into the machine before selecting your method of payment, the machine's gonna start running your card, allowing you to skip a step and you speed ahead in the race that no one else is in. <laughs> I also do this at the airport. I am quick, like I have multiple bins, shoes off. I am pre-removing all the electronics before I even grab my bins. I love this. Efficiency is basically one of my core values. Don't get me started on the folks in front of me who do not share my zeal for this, you know, forget to take off their shoes. <laughs> I don't know if you're with me on that. One day on the way to see my therapist, um, she brought this up with me, with correction. I shared with her that I give myself 25 minutes for the drive that would take me 30. That I could make up the five minutes by sheer skill of driving. I am bragging about this. Her rebuke was kind and firm. She said, what if you give yourself 40 minutes and leave room to breathe for a moment when you get here? Hmm. I don't know. The rushing of life that I boast as efficiency has a spiritual toll on my soul because I can be hyper-focused on productivity and efficiency and I can miss the now. I can be the very opposite of present, cramming in as much as I can and barely leaving room to take a breath. My husband calls it riding the lightning. <laughs> so I'm sitting in my therapist's office and I'm realizing that this is something that I have felt sneaking up on me, that God is speaking whispering, sometimes shouting this to me. I was reading about it, listening to podcasts about it, having people randomly bring it up. It was one of those topics that kept repeating itself in my life. And it was this idea of presence, slowing down, Sabbath, rest, pace, solitude. You always have to pay attention to the themes, the topics, the scripture that follows you around. God is still speaking in whispers, nudges, sometimes loudly, in scripture, in the words of people around us, through the impressed sense in our spirit. And to me, he was speaking that I needed to slow down and be present. I like to say to hurry up and wait, that my restlessness needed to be still. Because God is not a God of restlessness, but a God of rest. And I don't mean naps and Netflix here. Both of those are good, but I am talking about internally. You can be doing nothing and internally restless. You can be working hard, long hours while internally at rest. You know what I mean here? God led Israel out of slavery in Egypt, the endless backbreaking demands of working to the freedom of the promised land. And even once they were not in Egypt anymore, it took a while for the Egypt to get out of them. Hence the whole wandering in the desert bit, 40 years of reorienting. Even after all of that, they still struggled. It seems to be a human problem, our internal restlessness. But God's intent for us in him is not restlessness, but rest. Our souls at rest in him. And I, in full-time ministry of all places, had made myself restless. Are you in a hurry, rushing, restless? Do you feel perpetually behind in small ways or big ways? 
like running late to work? Or are you running late to whatever benchmark you hold for yourself in this season of life? I work with young adults, and in the conversations I've had about this, um, all of them seem to feel behind. Like they should already know what they want to do after graduation. They should have already had that big girl job. They should already own a house. They should have already paid off their debt or have the boyfriend or girlfriend or husband or wife. They should already have kids. They should already have money in their 401k. <laughs> I asked for a show of hands at a Timberline 20s and 30s large group. How many of you feel behind? A kind of behind in life sort of behind. And 80% of the room probably raised their hands. Whew. I wonder what that's about. Do you do that? Do you find yourself focused on the next thing or the next season of life, missing the one that you're in? I wonder if as a culture, we're losing our ability to be patient, to be present and at peace, lost in our hustle, wearing our badge of busy. Like, how are you? I'm busy. You, yeah, busy, real busy. We're all busy, it seems. Striving, chasing, whatever's on the horizon. As a culture, we are people who love being productive and busy. More than half, 55% of Americans don't use all of their paid vacation days. And when we do take vacation, apparently, most still take calls and do work email. We also live in a time of immediacy. If I want information, Siri's gonna give it to me lightning fast. If I wanna get a hold of someone, they will quickly get back to me by text. And you know what really grinds the gears? Being on hold. I don't know anyone who just loves being on hold. Like you're on hold for, I don't know, five minutes plus. Praise the Lord. Maybe that's you. If I want a drink from Starbucks, I can order it on the way there and it'll be ready for me. When I get there, I don't have to wait. I don't even have to talk to anyone. And if I do find myself in a moment of needing to wait for something, I have my phone. I have plenty to do, plenty to scroll. And those statistics across all generations are frightening. Have we lost the ability to be patient, present, and at peace? You know, Dallas Willard said, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Corey Ten Boom said, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. And John Orberg, for many of us, the great danger is not that we'll renounce our faith. It's that we'll become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we'll settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. Ooh. Do you resonate with that? Are you unintentionally skimming your life? Busy and hurried. So what does God have to say? What do you think he would say to you, to us, when it comes to all of this. I wanna unpack an account that's in the Gospels. It's very famous. Um, if you're one here who finds yourself very familiar with this, you might have the urge to stop listening to me, to put this in the old been there, done that category. But my prayer is that we could step into this account together, that you'd find yourself in this account. You'd imagine the story, imagine yourself in the story. Who are you and what God might have for you and for us today? It's in Luke chapter 10. It's a story of sisters, Mary and Martha, starting in verse 38. 
As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So I want to talk about this account some things going on here. Often it gets painted as an account about working and rest. We're told, don't be a Martha. Martha gets a bad rap. Now Martha is the matron of the house. She is the one who's considered the host, which is an incredible honor. And it was the cultural expectation that women were to be the servants for events like this. We know Martha, Mary and their brother Lazarus were good friends of Jesus. He stayed with them several times, um, thought to be around festivals when Jesus came to Jerusalem. Their home in Bethany is thought to be just a couple miles to the east of Jerusalem over the Mount of Olives. We know Jesus stays with them the week before his death. Like they are regular hosts to Jesus. And that's an incredible honor. Martha in her hospitality is working. She is serving Jesus. And yet it says she is distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. I'm not sure when the last time was that you hosted a dinner party. Sorry, with COVID, that feels hard. Maybe that's a little tender. Hopefully soon, dinner parties. But it's a lot of work. The service of cooking and cleaning and hosting is a beautiful gift, and it doesn't do itself. We need to remember this. Jesus modeled servant leadership. In the scripture right before this account, Jesus illustrates hospitality as a picture of his kingdom in the parable of the Good Samaritan, all about loving your neighbor. The service of cooking and cleaning, caring for and hosting guests, the often behind the scenes work of it has high value in God's economy. When some of his disciples were arguing about which one of them was the greatest, bless them, bless their hearts, Jesus responds to them in Luke 9. It said, it is the one who is least among you all who is the greatest. Servant leadership is the only leadership recognized by Jesus, which he modeled for us throughout his life. You remember when he washed the disciples' feet, Judas included? He modeled servant leadership to his death, an innocent man dying a criminal's death for you and me. He modeled servant leadership beyond his resurrection. He makes breakfast on the beach in Galilee for his wayward and weary disciples who'd abandoned him in his most vulnerable moment. He modeled servant leadership all over the place. The behind the scenes work of cleaning and cooking and hosting, it's no small act of service and it's not being condemned here. So what is happening here? In verse 40, it says, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Rude. Tell her to help me. As an older sister with a younger sister, I get this. I grew up feeling high levels of responsibility with what my sister should or shouldn't be doing. Some called it bossy. 
Um, others call it leadership skills. I had real Angelica vibes for any of you Rugrats fans out there. We feel the tension between sisters here, and we feel the frustration in Martha. The way she asks the question, don't you care? She believed that Jesus would agree with her, which it's worth pausing on that for a moment. How often we come to Jesus like this, preoccupied in the actions or inactions of others with a strong conviction that we're right. Jesus might not agree with your conclusions. Jesus might not agree with your conclusions. Lay down assumptions. Let Jesus surprise you and in humility receive correction. Now, that's easier said than done. <laughs> we need to be depending on the Holy Spirit to guide us. Remember who is the judge. We are not. Remember who is in control. We are not. It is not wise to assume that Jesus would agree with us. The thing is, we might be missing it, just like Martha. Martha assumed incorrectly. In humility, we can learn from this. We can learn to surrender our tight grip on being right, especially when it comes to the actions and inactions of others. So shifting the scene, we have Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now, this is not just sitting and doing nothing. This phrase, sitting at the feet, actually was the description for a student in a learning context with a teacher or a rabbi. We see it in Acts 22 when Paul is describing his picture-perfect resume as an elite Jewish thinker. He name drops his rabbi Gamaliel, who was considered to be one of the most respected rabbis in this time. He says, I sat at the feet of Gamaliel. The context of this changes everything. It's more than sitting. It's taking the posture of a disciple, receiving teaching, and learning from Jesus. This is an unbelievable opportunity that Jesus extended to Mary, and she took it. She seized it. I can't help but think that the same thing was offered to Martha, too. I think Mary got something crucial that Martha missed. This was culturally radical because women were not allowed to be disciples. They were not allowed to continue studying Torah after the first phase of Jewish education. Some teachers even use stronger language that the words of the Torah shouldn't be wasted on the ears of a woman. Whew. Remember, women in the first century were valued slightly higher than children, and they didn't value children much. We see this when Jesus says, let the children come to me, because his disciples saw the children as a waste of Jesus's time. In response, Jesus taught that his kingdom actually belonged to children. And that unless they became like them, they'd have no place in it. Whew, strong. Jesus gave this strong rebuke to his disciples and radically reshaped the value system they were operating in. Jesus here chose Mary, a woman, to be his disciple. We know he had women disciples. No one elevated women like Jesus did. This is not an account about working and rest, about being still or being busy. This is not about choosing Netflix over dishes. This isn't about a sibling rivalry and Jesus taking sides. It's not a don't be a Martha story. This is an account about attention and distraction. The account of Mary and Martha is about attention and distraction. Verse 41, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried 
and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Martha is worried and upset about many things. She's distracted and she's frustrated. Martha is distracted and frustrated. I see myself in Martha. Like Martha is far more relatable to me. <laughs> I am worried and upset about many things, often of my own doing. I am easily frustrated and easily concerned with the actions or inactions of others. I, like Martha, have a genuine desire to serve Jesus and can also forget him in doing so. I get Martha. Mary, I see as far more aspirational. She is bold and aligned. She is in tune with Jesus. She's also singularly focused on Jesus. Mary is aligned with and singularly focused on Jesus, on his words, on his approval. She disrespected cultural norms here. By all standards, um, this was misbehavior. To skip the cooking and cleaning is a no-no. And to receive the posture of a disciple is very radical. She seems to only care about the opinion and approval of Jesus, which he affirms in her. In John 12, 1 through 8, we see it again when at a dinner party, she pours expensive perfume on Jesus' feet, perhaps in gratitude for raising her brother Lazarus from the dead. She breaks the norms of a dinner party etiquette, despite the protest and discomfort of some of the more practical disciples. And Jesus affirms her there too. She doesn't seem to care so much about what other people are thinking or feeling. She had a singular focus on Jesus, on worshiping him and learning from him. Mary is the picture of radical attention to Jesus. Martha is the much more familiar picture of well-intended distraction. Where do you find yourself today? Are you distracted? John Mark Homer, um, in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, which I highly recommend if you're looking for a new read, he says this, what you give your attention to is the person you become. Put another way, the mind is the portal to the soul, and what you fill your mind with will shape the trajectory of your character. In the end, your life is no more than the sum of what you gave your attention to. That bodes well for those apprentices of Jesus who give the bulk of their attention to him and to all that is good, beautiful, and true in his world. But not for those who give their attention to the 24-7 news cycle of outrage and anxiety and emotion-charged drama or the nonstop feed of celebrity gossip, titillation, and cultural drivel, as if we give it in the first place. Much of it is stolen by a clever algorithm out to monetize our precious attention. Whew. In the end, your life is no more than the sum of what you gave your attention to. Few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better. In Jesus' famous teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 6, he says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And then again, 
in verse 33, he says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. (laughs) Mary is honored by Jesus because she chose what was better. And Matthew 6 invites us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. At the end, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. He says to stay in today. My paraphrase is to be where your feet are. Be where your feet are. In our time, this requires incredible intentionality. Our culture is not doing us any favors here. Our world will steal your time and attention, and you must fiercely fight to place your attention on Jesus. The seeking first his kingdom will require you to do so intentionally. This will not just happen. We cannot do this until we make space to do it. I'd encourage you to evaluate your rhythms, your routines. Do you have practices to help you with this? Practices of silence, solitude, Sabbath, even simplicity. I have some takeaways, some ideas, right? Throw your phone into the lake. Just kidding, kind of. Here are some things that I have been practicing um, that I think have been helpful. The first is to have device-free time. It's incredibly liberating, but sneaky hard to actually do. If you live with roommates or family, um, I recommend having this be a joint activity. Justin and I try to practice phone-free evenings, and I'll, I'll tell you, it's been a blessing to us without a doubt. The second one is to practice two minutes of silence before God throughout the day. This is one that's so, so good for me, um, and it's embarrassingly hard to be silent for two minutes, and that might just be me. But I literally, I'll set a timer on my watch for two minutes, and then I'm, my whole goal is silence and stillness before God, taking deep breaths and focusing like my scattered senses back to the presence of God. The next one is to give yourself 10 extra minutes to sit and breathe. This one's kind of for me and driving, but I would encourage you to leave yourself more time um, and then don't just fill it with something else. Allow yourself space to move slower. The next one is to try journaling. Um, A gratitude journal can be super, super helpful. And then my last one, put yourself behind the slow car on purpose. Bonus points. You could also put yourself behind the longest line at the grocery store. Just pure inefficiency. But take that inconvenience. Take that time to pray, to recognize the presence of God with you there. To be present to the moment of your life is to be present to the presence of God and the gift of his handiwork all around you. May you have radical attention on Jesus. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your desire to connect with us. Forgive us of our pride, of our inflated view of what we can accomplish on our own. And Father, we need your help. Would you help us to be where our feet are? to meet you in the present moment of our lives. And Lord, would you use our attention for purposes bigger than just us, um, that we wouldn't miss the opportunities to love and to serve and to bless our neighbor. God, give us the eyes to see, the ears to hear, your invitations for us, the small ones, the big ones. We don't want to miss it. Would you give us grace for our certain failings with this? And would you give us peace? 
God, for anyone who feels restless, internal restlessness. God, I just pray for right now for peace, for calm and quiet, that they would, you would just invite them into your rest. May we find rest in you, your easy yoke, your unforced rhythms of grace. God, we don't deserve that. We can't earn that, but you've given that freely to us in Jesus. And if you're here and you're disconnected, you don't have a relationship with God, but you want to start one, you could just pray this short prayer with me right now. Here I am, God. Here I am. I need you. I receive right now your grace and your forgiveness. I want to trust you with my future. Thank you, God. Thank you. We love you. It's your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much. Take care.